welcome to the Roldorf Cafe podcast. This is an interview with Andrew Luke Oldham. He is uh, the original Rolling Stones manager. He's a watch collector and just an all-around super nice guy. We recorded this as an Instagram Live too, so you can go over to YouTube and see the recording of this podcast in glorious monotone color. Check it out. We hope you enjoy the show and we look forward to hearing your comments. Welcome once again to the Roldorf Cafe podcast. Here we're doing a live version of it. I have a special guest today with us, and his name is Andrew Oldham. Andrew Oldham is the original manager of the Rolling Stones, starting from 1963 or so. He's managed and represented, produced Marian Faithful, Rod Stewart, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, with his record company, Immediate Records. He's worked with Peter Frampton in the late 80s also. He was a publicist for Bob Dylan on his first UK tour and the Beatles for Brian Epstein starting in 1963. All this in his early 20s, starting off, I think, at 19, and the list goes on and on and on. You were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2014. Yep. Your home now is in Colombia since the mid-80s, I guess. And here you are here in Vancouver. So welcome. Thank Thank you very much for joining us. It's it's very good. Uh, If those of you have seen the online ads of this establishment know that for watches, uh, this place does what cigar places. It's a place to come to um, and be comfortable in. You've been here, what, like eight, eight months or so or longer? Yeah, in this spot, uh, just a, yeah, actually, just a little over a year. But we okay. met you at the other place. Oh, yes, you did. Yeah. yeah. And you, it was, you know, <laughs> that was a tough place to come down to. A maze. <laughs> it know. was, yeah. It certainly was. But this is just uh, heaven on a stick, as Frankie Howard might have said. I know. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was it was very exciting to uh, to actually get into uh, into this this spot. People that come in tend to tend to like it, and uh, yeah, it feels like my second home. Well, it really is my second home. And it's always lively outside. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. Gastown's becoming livelier and livelier. Well, more moment, COVID, so. you know. Yeah. More confusion. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> So here we are. I mean, we met a number of years ago. We were introduced by a, a, a mutual friend. Yeah. Um, our foot doctor. Our foot doctor. Foot doctor from Mark the stars Lindy. and tuba player now that he's stopped doing feet. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mark Lindy. Yeah. From, he's from Chicago in New Zealand. Yeah. But he, Peter fact, Frampton, by the way. It was the 70s, 69 to, to, it was when he was in the group Humble Pie. Okay. Um, 68, 60, no, 69, yeah. The first two albums of Humble Pie. It's crazy, that's, it, it's quite the career you've had, and you started all of that when you were 19. Before. Oh, yeah. 
So, you didn't start in music, though? No, I started in fashion. I mean, I, I attended all these sort of schools, these boarding schools in England, and the final report, when I was 16, said, he may do well, but not here. <laughs> and so I, you know, higher education was not for me. I hit the streets as soon as I could. Fortunately, you know, I mean, there are no accidents. Things just happen. Had I been a couple of years older, national service would have been a consideration. Right. Um, but it wasn't. Um, and uh, at that time, fashion and fashion photography was the pop business of Britain. I mean, people like Mary Quant, Vidal Sassoon, the heck, the hair, the crimper, basically. Yeah. I don't care what he called himself. Uh, and the three famous photographers, David Bailey, Terence Donovan and Brian Duffy, they were pop stars, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, they went to America first. Um, then probably the next pop early brand was the James Bond films. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, <clears throat> Shirley Bassey, Shirley Bassey, all the people who sang those themes in 61 or 62 and pre-Beatles, I'm talking, would probably not have got arrested in America on their own. <laughs> yeah. But in a James Bond movie. Yeah. And then, uh, and then came the Beatles and then came everything. Yeah. You know, in terms of us sitting here, Brian Epstein had not got the Beatles a recording contract, we wouldn't be sitting here now. No. If, if you had have had to have done national service, what would the world look like? Oh, I was training. Okay. I, yeah, in one of these farmers' public schools, I was in the band, okay. the military band, because okay. they, they had nicer uniforms. <laughs> and, I, and I could mime on the inside. It didn't get caught out. So that was fanta absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's, it's fashion... You're a very fashionable guy. It's you. Every every time I've met you, it, it it you've you've got a look, and and maybe it's only having a mother. You see, yeah. You you know. I mean, I've heard the phrase lately. We've been discussing people uh, about the tastes of certain people, and some blunt East Ender would say to me, "Well, Andrew, no man in the house." <laughs> you know. But what brought you on to watches? Because there wasn't Oh, yeah. Yeah. As my mother went from renting rooms from people, like in Maida Vale, near Kilburn, and the Australians. Um, Lodges. Huh? Yeah, Lodges. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, and then finally got her first apartment, first flat in London, which was in Hampstead. She was, uh, she had a boyfriend who supported her, who um, came from a reasonably orthodox Jewish family in that my mother was on the side and we all got to know the rest of the family very well. Right. Um, um, and he would turn up, my mother insisted on working, she was a contometer, contometer operator, and Alec, um, who became successful in England at a time when, as soon as somebody made their first money, they wanted to be English, so they went off and had English, proper English lessons and elocution lessons. They didn't want to be 
I don't care if you understand me or not. I mean, what goes with new money? They wanted to be part of England, right. th this country that had taken them in. And when I was like 10 or 11, we, so we were in a basement apartment in Belsize Park Gardens, number 44. Um, and he would roll up about nine or nine, nine o'clock to collect my mother in this Rolls Royce. The smell of the leather um, has been bottled in perfumes by various small houses, like leather, the combination of like leather and whiskey. Yeah. You know, in, in colognes and things, you know, not big brands, but in little things that you can find. And a great one on West Fourth Man, the Indian shop near the pie shop and Banyans. He has some great little perfumes in there. Banyan. Oh, okay. It's a local plug. Uh, <laughs> he, and when I gazed up from the little garden in the basement and saw the watch he had, that was it. It just started something Yeah, off. it just went, whoa. You know, um, the art. The, um, the finesse of, in what was obviously a rough world, um, you know, they, we, we weren't all divers then. <laughs> you know, a watch kept the time. It didn't, it didn't, um, but it said who you were, but you couldn't masquerade as a diver then. Right, right, you know. And that, that watch started me off. Um, and that was, it's not so much, it was my upfall, not my downfall. I mean, that just became uh, one of the safest drugs I've ever taken. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Watches are that. You go on that path, it, uh, it, it, it can be a very expensive path for some people, right? And they just keep on and keep on and keep on buying. Now, I know you've said to me that there was a time in your life that you would you couldn't just walk by a watch shop, a watch shop, or a I would nod without, out without going. I would in. almost nod out. I'd almost go into a lithium mood, <laughs> like you know, standing there looking at the these things. I mean, it was just uh, what I did. Yeah. I mean, clothes stores not so much because I could suss out what that stuff was easier. A watch took, you know, like with cars, I don't actually know what's under the bonnet. So I would look longer, spend much more time. And the, it's so many factors, the, the design factor. Uh, then, um, and the adventure of what could be done. Yeah. You know. Finding your way into a store like this, I remember that was one of the first things you said. He's like, oh my God, here I am back in a watch store looking at watches. <laughs> yeah. And you went, <laughs> you, you went and you bought um, initially a, a Bramont from us. Yeah. And, uh, and it, that, that's where we really started to get, get to know each other a little bit. And just even with talking to you before starting this today, it became very apparent to me that the style of, of watch that you would wear, that people would wear then in the 60s, changing a little bit, I guess, in the 70s, but in the 60s, it was all about, it was slim, it was smaller, it, 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 it had a, a, a fashion, in its own, without being really big and gaudy. No, but it still said, I've arrived. I've arrived, you know? yeah. yeah. You know, it was like all or nothing. Either it was whatever, in those days, whatever the version of 
a simple Timex was or, you know, I remember there was one, ag one agent in Denmark Street. He worked for a company called Noel Gay. I can't remember his name, but he managed um, quite a few people. And he went to America very often. And he, like in the time, their, their company had David Frost and things like that. And to show a little eccentricity, he would have a watch on each hand. But they weren't expensive watches. That was supposed to be uh, reserved for watchmakers only. <laughs> well, for him was that, you know, he was a world traveler. Yeah. You know, you see occasionally uh, a watch that seems tight. You don't need, you're never going to need another watch. Yeah. That's incredible. That's like, um, this is my final marriage. <laughs> right? And, and when you come across a watch like that, that is a joy. Yeah. And it can be... A costly one, and it doesn't have to be. No, you know, it just is something that um, explains you without you needing a brand to say who you are. They don't actually have to be an expensive watch. No, it's it's about how it connects with you and how you feel about it, and. That's it, because it, it's a part of you. It's, it's yeah. part of a, uh, a look. It's part of your costume for the day. It is. The reason for having that many watches um, at, uh, at the time was because uh, if it was the wrong watch for the occasion or the outfits, it would suddenly look gaudy. Yeah. Or, you know, it, it's just a question of blend. You know, a watch is one of the weapons that you have that you can speak less because you've already been spoken for. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's very hard these days when, you know, the guy dresses like the truck driver has got more money than anybody in the room. Yeah. But, you know, it, um, you still, you've got to sip your way through that, which is good. I mean, my clothes buying addiction, um, which look, every two years I stopped buying for a year because I realized the pointlessness of buying 10 of the same thing to make it look as if I never went shopping. Right. You moved to Colombia. Yeah. Um, a, a completely different environment to what you grew up with and what you experienced in London. Yeah. Um, what effect has that had on you? I wear a watch that is not worth rubbing me for. Okay, I've got one black ball and company one that looks like a 10 peso watch. Not unlike the one I recently got from them, but that's another story. Um, or, you know, if you had one of those um, uh, Mont Blanc black things, as long as it wasn't too shiny, you could wear it all the time there, right? Yeah. But no, it's more Colombia's and people are more about, as one gets a little older, you realize that there's a possibility that everybody that has impressed you you knew one way, you may have known one way or another in another life. And um, as watches represent time, I mean, usually, I mean, at least three out of 10 watches that I buy, I, go, I won't need another one. <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, you, you're buying forever. Would you ever give watches as gifts to people? No, oh, that's difficult. Have you received watches from people? No, it's an interesting question. I've never thought about that. No, have I? Oh, yes, okay. Uh, Esther and I were in Rome. This is the thing I'm ashamed of. Well, I will be to my grave. We took my mother to 
Rome. And boy said, buy a watch, you know, get a watch, get anything you want, so and so. And she picked this Gucci watch. And I said, come on, <laughs> we can do better than that. Yeah. And, you know, it was terrible. I was actually t get, taking away the pleasure of her just spending. Right. I didn't like it because five straps came with it. You know, this is like 1979. Right, yeah. Um, and uh, that Gucci watch with the five straps is what she really wanted, and it's just a shame that this boy made his mother cry on the way to letting her have it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk that much about the stones, but there's one story that that's kind of that's kind of interesting. That that when I heard it, it it just brought back memories of me living in 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 near near there, which was a flat in Wilsdon. You wanted to to push on them to make to write their own music. Yeah, and there's a story that said you wouldn't let them out the room. Yeah. I mean, that's a concertinaed version of what actually happened. Okay. They, they, were, they didn't write. Um, the Beatles did. Um, eventually, England would run out. I mean, the English groups would run out of American R&B songs to do. They were already going, going, gone. You know, the search of sweets for my sweet, just one look, the Hollies. And there was a James Ray record. We were in a rehearsal, James Ray record. Ray called If You Want to Make a Fool of Somebody. And I went, okay, uh, I'd like you to try that. And somebody said, Andrew, it's coming out next week by Freddie and the Dreamers, right? So I went, oh my God, if Freddie and the Dreamers is getting the good, these, then there's, there's not long left. I figured that as Mick could write postcards back to his mum or Chrissy Shrimpton, and Keith knew more than three chords, they could write songs. You know, I mean, what's the problem? Right. And it's not so much that I locked them up, is I did leave the apartment that we shared and go back to my mother's for the weekend with laundry, yeah. saying basically I expect something by the time I get back. And they, um, given suitable memories or revisionism or whatever, think that As Tears Go By is the first song that they wrote. It's not. I mean, there were lots of lame songs. Right. Because you automatically start off writing soppy ballads because it's very hard to, to be both a songwriter and then the rock and roll, at that time, rock and roll equivalent of a big band arranger. You've got to be your own Duke Ellington if you're going to come in with a figure like The Last Time or Satisfaction or the figure behind... Well, The Last Time came from the Staples singles, but never mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> um, but you... So they did, you know, and there were... Um, many shaky songs. Tell Me was the first one on the first album. That was a ballad. It wasn't until um, after It's All Over Now, which was Bobby Womack from Sam Cooke, the last time was the first up-tempo song that they, they mastered it. So what types of watches um, were they wearing at the time? Now this was... They didn't. Yeah, so nothing. No. What did they rush out and buy as soon as they started to earn money? A roof over their head? Yeah. 
Uh, to start with, I mean, I'm sure nobody, they didn't really think about it. Right. But they would look like an all-round family entertainer if they showed up somewhere with a gorgeous watch on. It didn't, you know, I mean, they never, I don't, I'm not saying they consciously said, we are not wearing watches, we'll leave yeah. the Beatles to have watches, because the Beatles made real money. Yeah. The rest of us were pretenders. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, watches weren't important, man. I mean, I can't remember what was in Bond Street, or but, but not much. I mean, my port of call, from like 1964, I'd be oogling in the window, but from 1965, I could buy, was there was this great uh, jewelry store um, in the reception of the London Hilton. Okay. Um, that was like uh, Disneyland, you know, I mean, woof. Uh, but I don't, I, I mean, you, you know, then it, otherwise it's normal brands like Mappin and Webb. Yeah. You know, it's very high street. And so if as a young person you didn't aspire to buy a watch because that's what your parents did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and also I think it was probably associated with the gold watch at the end of your run. <laughs> Huh? Yeah. So, yeah. Have you seen what the Canadian government are giving their, their people these days? No. Even for 25 years, it's... Watches. Uh, yeah, horrible. Are they any good? Yeah, just no. No. No, it's terrible. <laughs> I want to have a word with them about that. I would. Yeah. <laughs> Watches are a crazy ride. You know, you come into a place, you see it, you see stuff online, you're bombarded with options now. There's big brands, there's small brands, there's micro brands. But I think it all goes back down to what actually really does suit you personally. And do you know? And, and until you see it, right? And then even if you do see it online, it's, yeah. it, it's hard I know. to tell. A recent hard experience with Ball & Company. Yeah, that, that's, that's too bad. Yeah. Yeah, it really oh, yeah. is. I mean, it's more a measure of, do I want to go into kill again <laughs> and go around to skate on a plane to wherever they are with a Zen baseball bat and say, give me my money back. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as the whole world is, is basically in the business of false pretenses, um, Ball and Company, I had a great run with them and, you know, now they push themselves over the cliff. That's too bad. Yeah. That's too bad a, uh, a company can, can do that. And I think it, it, it you know, when, you, when you're trying so hard and you're trying to give feedback and you just don't take it, that, that's... Yeah, well, that's you tough. know, I mean, the, it is in a, that type of company is in a world that's ruled by committee, so there's no originality of thought that someone say, hey, wait a minute, this guy's bought 10 watches. And like when you go through customs, the least they could have done was Google my name. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. But anyway, so, um, you know, there we are. It's over. Yeah. You know. Well, well. But I still have this one in our antique roadshow, this lovely ladies' uh, bull watch. Yeah. You know. And that... That, I think, is just testament to how small watches can still work. When rock and roll then started getting flash and wearing its thing, the Porsche watches and the Pulsar watches and get the ladies model. Yeah. Because um, you weren't Ray Winston, <laughs> like you weren't uh, Michael Caine, you know, I mean, um, that, that, that is a, that's a terrific watch. And it is luminous at night, and they were, their company was one of the first ones with that. 
yeah, this is, this is amazing. And most people would go, I, probably I wouldn't wear that as a man, but it is the normal size, it is a normal size watch, right? Rolex has started off that size, or smaller actually. Oops, sorry to, no, that's, uh, no, I was apologizing to the watch. <laughs> I mean, come on, that's cool. Yeah, see, it... Right? Exactly. Mm. That's they exactly... do have a very nice one with a dark blue face, too. And look, it's solid, you know, it's pretty sturdy for... Yeah. You know. Now, you just took off a young hands, Max. Yes. Yes. It's a beauty. Now, can you get away with that in Colombia? No, I wouldn't. It's too... Oh. Uh... It's asking for it. Right. You know, it's like um, when we walk in the... Um, uh, or hike in the, the, you know, Bogota is on a table at 8,700 feet, and then it's surrounded by a rim of tables that take you up another thousand feet, and there's great places to hike where basically you go in three different climates and vegetation as you go. But there's only so many policemen there. It's only right. open from five in the morning till 10 in the morning, and then every so often there's a spate of robberies. And I was told about um, one older gentleman who was walking and on his cell phone um, this gang came up to him and he, and he actually like Ray Davis in New, New Orleans when he was being robbed there sort of wasn't sure he wanted to give them his cell phone yes. and this 14 year old kid turns around and says look you know this gun's already killed seven people do you want to be number eight <laughs> yeah Kind of, so yeah, you gave him the cell phone, yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, we, we've discussed Colombia, and as you know, that unfortunately it's less, all, most of the countries down there, especially in Central America, are less with the recent, let's say the economic times since 2008, roughly then, uh, where those who have have more, um, and the rest of us just get shaken around. Um, it's more like the fifth world than the third world. Yeah. And unfortunately, for all our populations, COVID is just another bump in the road. It's not the big event. Oh, I can't go and see Cher. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I knew a Colombian money runner, meaning he had two sets of enemies, both the police and the other gangs. And when I visited him, when we visited him once in his house in Fort Lauderdale, uh, I heard these immaculate words, don't have tears for the things that don't have tears for you. Nothing ilagamus, but I call it exactly, no? Well, it's very spiritual, but in fact, his English vacuum cleaner of a wife was on the shag white carpet looking for a diamond she dropped and Fernando wanted to go out. But when I heard him say those words, don't have tears for the things that don't have tears for you, I went, oh, Fernando, man, that's great. I can live off that remark for at least 12 years. Because, <laughs> you know, it sorts stuff out for you. Yeah. Other watches you've got here. You've got a driver. This, I think, is stunning. Elk. It's an elk, isn't it? Yeah, iron elk. Yeah. Just the, the curve on that case alone. Yeah. is amazing and of course uh, 12 is at two yeah so that uh, yeah. when you when your hands on the steering wheel and i've had that watch probably 15 years yeah so it's in good you know it, it, this is in good nick yeah you know yeah um and uh yeah and i got that now, one of those type of mappen and webb 
I can't remember the other ones, but you know, I mean, look. But that type of store, but a one-off run by a family, right on the corner of where you come in, where all the buses come in to Victoria Station. Yeah. Right? Sort of more or less straight opposite the back wall of the Queen's Place, right? Um, and that, I went, ooh. It here is absolutely brilliant. So yeah. it's a Vantage chronograph. Yeah. But I got it online. I, so to make it, you know, I was successful once and then I messed up with Ball and company. <laughs> uh, but this one worked. This I got from an online company in Australia. The cool thing about this is that it's got the day and the date on the strap. Yeah. What, what year would that have come out in? 70-something? Yeah, probably, yeah. It's 70s, early 80s, but it's... It's sending a message to those who work for you if you came in with that into the offices or the boardroom with that and, you know, saying, you know, yeah. I'm aware. You know, I mean, and it's such a great idea. Yeah. yeah. And it's working, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Still, I, have, I haven't wound it. Vancouver's becoming... Um, well, it's got its name on the map, I think. Starting to get its name on the map with uh, with some different companies. Momentum has been running for a long time out of here. We have Halios, um, which uh, is a, a local micro brand, and uh, it's it's really nice. We've got um, a watchmaker that's uh, building his own uh, brand. He's out. He's in South Vancouver. Um, that is sort of in that high. Uh, sort of higher range of watches. I've seen. Yeah. That, yeah. And uh, it, it just seems like now Vancouver's becoming a little bit of a hub. Yeah. I and mean, it's great. <laughs> I mean, it has to be. I mean, I mean you know, look at, look at where the people who are helping... I mean, it's, it's still a great escape. Yeah. You know, it's... Um, as you know, I got here probably like 18 years ago mainly because Esther and I will put our son was leaving home in Bogota he was going into school in Los Angeles and we certainly weren't, weren't going to go to the San Fernando Valley to keep an eye on him and enough people said oh Andrew you know you'd really like Vancouver right and I knew that um, someone we know the, the actor Terence Stamp lived here when he wasn't working at the time um, in a hotel you know, and he would just have carpets and things left, and when Mr. Stamp came back, the carpets and the things that made it his own apartment would be moved in. And um, people like him, they said, oh, you'd like Vancouver, Andrew. And so we came here, uh, Granville Island Hotel, stayed there. Um, and of course, from the maps and the globes, you have no idea, or I had no idea, that you're actually, we are actually on the same latitude as England. And for that reason, every time I come here, my body thanks me you know, for, <laughs> for, for taking it home in right. one particular, in a, in a particular way. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. For, I really appreciate for being it. here. Thank you. The, um, it's not an oasis, because an oasis is in the middle of sand, and Vancouver is more than that. I thank yeah. you. Excellent. Good. That's it. Thank you, everybody, for joining. This has been the Rolled Off Cafe and a live version on Instagram.